sufficiently high. <laughs> Let's talk some Torah. I'm going to take a photo to put on my Instagram story. Oh, yes. I love that. <laughs> Looking cute. Okay. I've always wanted to be one of those people that- a voiceover artist? That is a, yeah, a voiceover artist who is like um, on voicemails and things like that. Like, you've reached 781-507. I'm not going to say the rest of my phone number because who knows how many millions of people are <laughs> to this and I don't want to be bombarded. <laughs> Also, I feel like you're just a little too, uh, to use the word of the day, loony, to just record something really, really ordinary and boring. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like you would have to put your own little like screw yeah. to it. You gotta put a touch of whimsy on it, you know? A touch of whimsy. A touch of whimsy, a drop of humor, and a splash of effusiveness. Absolutely. That sounds like your perfume. <laughs> That's me playing in the pool of Rachel Nieves. <laughs> That body of water. That body of water. We are all just bodies of water. We are all just bodies of water. Oh, speaking of, speaking of bodies. <laughs> have you watched Silicon Valley? I have dabbled in it. The thing is, is when I watch it, it gets me like really fired to work on Better Bra. And then I get really anxious. I can watch it in like small spurts. Yeah. But I'm like, gotta get to work, gotta get to work, gotta get to work, gotta move to SF. Like what? <laughs> yep. No, I so feel that. But so I just started watching Silicon Valley and I, I have not watched a funnier show in years. I do this with a lot of shows where I'll zoom through the first handful of seasons. And then the last season, I will take a month to finish it because I just don't want it to end. But Silicon Valley is so fun. Like I've watched the first five seasons in five days and there's only 10 episodes a season. So before everyone is like, oh, holy content. I'm like, please. I have not laughed this hard in years. So speaking of like getting you fired up, I can't watch this show before I go to bed because it makes me laugh so hard. It's like I'm going to Disney World the next day. I'm like, this show gets me so jazzed. <laughs> I just can't stand it. Shout out Silicon Valley. This is like a two-part little story and it will end in a question for you. I started watching some anime, some like really cool anime. Because um, you know how like all I do is watch adult cartoons. So this was just an extension of what I think was my personal brand. This one I'm watching right now, it's called Evangelion. On the surface, it looks like giant robots fighting, but it's actually really witchy and deep, introspective and talks about PTSD. And it like all revolves around Lilith. You but, love like, Lilith. We love Lilith. Yes, my future snake named Lilith. That's coming, guys. Get ready. I'm gonna have a little corn Thanks. snake. But all this being said is it kind of had me thinking about personal branding and the most business school thing is in one of our classes, write a paper about like what our personal brand is. But it was actually kind of interesting just to think about how you present yourself to the world and, and what you want people to know and think about you. And so I said my three branding keywords were wise, authentic, and sexually explorative, which is like, er. and you could even just say explorative, not even just, oh, because I want to sleep with a lot of people, but I'm just so interested in all that is human sexuality. I feel like that's a part of my part of my brand, but I would love to hear a, a snippet of yours. You kind of gave it away when you were talking about the uh, potion that create oh. Rachel Nieves. The, the ingredients in Rachel yeah. Nieves's body of water. Yes. <laughs> in, in the pool of Rachel. I, I already gave it away. No, but if I had to actually put intentional thought around it, I would say definitely whimsical, mm -hmm. empathetic, and cut out this long pause. 
Can I add a suggestion? Yeah. It might sound superficial. I would add funny. Okay. So I didn't know if that like went along with whimsy. No, I would add funny. Because I, I was going to say funny, but yeah. I think it's different, but more like humor. Yeah. So actually on this note of Silicon Valley and like now that you're bringing up is humor. I have such a deep appreciation for truly funny people mm-hmm. and people that understand how to execute a joke and also know when not to. Mm-hmm. I am so sick of people thinking that it's some sort of fun personality trait to have silly Zoom backgrounds in meetings. It's oh funny one time if you execute it well and it's like relevant, mm-hmm. but after that, stop. Like, like you're not in the office. Oh, you got me. <laughs> Enough. I've found that I have increasingly little patience for it. Not that I'm going to like flip out on anyone, but I'm like not going to give a courtesy laugh anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't encourage the bad behavior. Yeah. I also have noticed a lot of people like pity laugh, pity laughs. Yeah. As, as a comedian, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like you would feel like this too. Yeah, as a comedian, yeah. I don't want a pity laugh. I want to know when I'm actually being funny. Yeah. People will like make jokes now and they're like, oh, like, I guess that fell flat. And it's like, yeah, it did. Do better next time. Yeah, learn. <laughs> what else is growth? Do you want me to just fake this for you? Do you think that humor can be learned? I think it's kind of like singing where I think you can learn to be a, a good singer, but some people are just born with that gift. That's like, yeah. or, or I think, you know what? Frankly, I think it's any art form. Mm-hmm. You can learn to be like decent at it, but there becomes a level. There's a threshold mm-hmm. that you have to be at. I feel like before you start enhancing or like learning more about your craft. Yeah. Dip in your toe in the water. Just wait and write in. Splashy, <laughs> splashy. <laughs> splish, splash. Do you remember when your Instagram bio was funny and nervous? And- yes. <laughs> I miss that. I should change that back. It was great. It was a very complete and succinct you're a a hot anxious bitch and you're really fucking funny that's that's your deal (laughs) holistic view of who I am inside hello and welcome to sufficiently high (laughs) we are back and better than ever coming at you live from Boston Massachusetts I'm Rachel coming at you from a bedroom of a boy Name Lindsay. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the podcast where we get a little high and talk a little Torah. So strap on in, crack a white claw, light some jazz cabbage, and get ready to be mesmerized. (laughs) Get ready to rumble. (laughs) I'm so happy to be here. Speaking of dipping our toes in the water, I would say I have been splish splashing in the pool of really dating somebody more seriously than I have in the past in a very long time. And it's nice. It's something I've been saying for a while as like I was ready for. I feel really good about it. And I don't feel super anxious about it, which is something that is wild because usually I feel very trapped and I don't feel trapped at all. One of my best friends, Jane, shout out Jane. She took me aside one time when I was feeling blue about a guy and she was like, Lindsay, you deserve a partner who helps you grow, who you can grow with. This guy was not making you grow. You weren't inspired by him. And that was such a, like, a turning point for me. I realized I can't be guys I'm like trying to take care of. I can't be, you know, nurturing somebody for so long without, you know, getting it back. I feel like this guy makes me grow, makes me watch anime, not makes me, but 
encourages it. <laughs> I'm like picturing him forcing you to watch. Yeah, anime. like forcing <laughs> me to watch anime. He like tried to get me to watch sci-fi, and I was like, "That's just no. Like that's a hard no. That's a boundary." Like baby steps, please. Yeah, I feel very adult in a very good way. I think this is one of the cool parts about adulthood is getting a little older and both knowing what you want and being able to communicate that pretty clearly. Yeah. Is a nice touch to 26, will I say? <laughs> I will say I haven't seen you this optimistic mm. about a relationship potentially ever. To your point about being older and being wiser and what 26 has taught you is I feel like when we were younger, it was almost like if there wasn't a fight or like a pull or like a true effort you had to put in, you were like, it's probably not worth it. That's just what you thought you had to do. Like, I remember my relationships in college, it was just like nonstop fighting. Well, also because in college and in your early 20s, I feel like I was just drunk 24-7. I mean, actually, big update is that I was planning to say is that I actually haven't been drinking as much. I keep saying that I'm like, haven't been drinking that much but I realize I should just be saying as much because <laughs> I'm still drinking but as I drink a white claw I'm still drinking just not as much but when I was in my early 20s I feel like I was just drunk all the time and everything was hard mm-hmm. about being in a relationship and then I don't know I, I mean I feel like part of it is quarantine also where it's just I don't really have the energy to invest in someone who's not going to give me energy back. I think too, he's very different from anybody who I've ever dated before. Not to go too much into it, but completely different cultural backgrounds, completely different courting, like the way that, you know, the way that you like court each other, the way that you, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Like we met each other's families super, super early, but it wasn't weird. It was just kind of the way that it went. I, I think a lot of it would feel like too much if he wasn't just so great and so open at the beginning. I was just not used to guys being that kind right away and that open with their emotions. And so when he was, my first instinct was to try to pull away or to try to be like, you know, it's so weird that he likes me that much. But then I was like, wait, like I like him that much. Haven't I constantly been saying I want a guy who is obsessed with me the way I'm obsessed with them? This is what it feels like. So it's uncomfortable, but good. You know, the term reacher or settler, like Mm -hmm. in every relationship, there's the reacher and the settler. I feel like when we were younger, the possibility of being the reacher in the relationship was terrifying. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, we better both be the reachers or else. I do not want to settle and I don't want him to settle for me. I'm being uncharacteristically coy because usually I'm like, here's everything that's going on in my life. But to give everything a little bit of privacy, I think that's all I'm willing to share. But Rachel, give me every detail about your life. Good thing I have plenty to talk about. No, none of my updates are that exciting. Well, one, it's just the thing that I've done that I recommend everyone to do. I have silk pillowcases now. And oh my God. Oh my God. They're very expensive, but they are worth every single penny. I feel like I'm sleeping in a royal bed bed chamber. Is that a term? Every time I think of the word bed chamber, I think of the term chamber pot, which is different. (laughs) Or like a wing of Buckingham Palace. I am in the lap of luxury and it feels amazing. Second big update. I have plants now. I have a huge plant, a bird of paradise, which is also ironic because like birds. And I named this plant Zazu after the toucan in Aladdin. And then I have another plant, which is a money plant. So I'm like manifesting for 2021, who I named George. But I'm hoping to assume that George is a female. 
George and Zazu. Oh, oh, and biggest update is I work out now. Isn't that crazy? I can't emphasize how big of a deal it is that I work out every day now. I haven't done that since senior year of high school. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> I found this really amazing workout program, the Sculpt Society. Shout out mm -hmm. Megan Roop. I'm obsessed with her. She's pregnant. I'm so happy for her. She just mm -hmm. announced. Shout out Megan. We love you. So I work out. I have plants. I think I'm going to get a Venus flytrap. Still have a boyfriend. Still have a boyfriend. Shout out boyfriend. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> You know what I think would be a really nice segue into our main topic? A little yes, kush corner. A little kush corner. A little tree, a little flower. Yeah, exactly. So, oh my God, this is perfect because I knew somewhere in here there was going to be an opportunity to make a pun out of like trees and weed and sufficiently high. I haven't thought of anything yet, but like hopefully I'll have a little one-liner that I can zing somewhere in my- little, Oh, for sure. Little, little Parsha. Talk um, it up. It's going to be good. This week's Kush Corner, we are going to be talking about what I am smoking. This is Rachel, by the way. <laughs> For those of you who can't tell the difference between us yet, I am smoking a strain called 10th Planet, which is a balanced hybrid. I got it from Berkshire Roots, which is a new dispensary in East Boston in Massachusetts, where I live. Fantastic place. I got a bunch of stuff there. I got a strain called Congolese Kush. I got one called Snow Dog. Both of them are fantastic. The one that I'm smoking now, 10th Planet, is really relaxing, really good strand for like social situations. So I figured it would be perfect for this little episode of the pod. The description is it's good for anxiety, lightly relaxing, a mood stabilizer, clear-minded and cerebral. So highly recommend. Highly recommend. I highly recommend. <laughs> do you want to transition us into Tubishvat? I would love to do a Tubishvat transition. So we're coming up on a little bit of a dismal time of year. I, I feel like end of January, February can seem kind of dreary. The holidays are over. Spring seems very far away. But nestled in all of this deep, dark gloom is a fun, flirty little holiday called Tubishvat, which I won't dive too deep into it because that's going to be Rachel's job. But it's a holiday celebrating the trees and Mother Earth if you know the book, The Lorax, you basically know Tubishvat, and I only know that because at my Jewish day school, we would read The Lorax during the Tubishvat Seder. That is all the word association I have for you, and I am going to tap it over to Rachel to grace our ears with some Tutti Frutti Tubishvat. <laughs> Tutti Frutti Tubishvat. <laughs> Thank you so much for tapping it over to me. <laughs> What are you tapping over, by the way? Tapping the, the rock? The mic? <laughs> the inspiration ball. The inspiration ball. The, the learned scholar ball. I crown the queen scholar. <laughs> I crown the, it's like a talking stick. <laughs> Thank you so much for that delightful intro, Lindsay. I'm going to take a hit, stretch out my limbs, my voice muscles, and then we're going to get into this, okay? <laughs> this extra special episode is celebrating another historically unimportant but turned important holiday, Tubishvat. Every time I say Tubishvat, I want to say Shavuot. And I know it's not the same, but I'm just obsessed with Shavuot. What can I say? <laughs> we made it cool. I mean, yeah, we're emotionally <laughs> invested. I have stock in Shavuos. Absolutely. Shavuos Inc. So Tubishvat is the new year of the trees. And just like Hanukkah, which is the last holiday we talked about, 
Tubishvat isn't mentioned anywhere in the Torah. The first time we hear about it, it's in the Mishnah, which is the Jewish oral law in Rosh Hashanah 1.1. The text talks about four different new years, all of which are connected to an ancient cycle of tithes. Since this is Jewish light, I had to Google what a tithe is. Because yeah, <laughs> I had no idea. Yep, it is one-tenth of annual produce or earnings formally taken as a tax for the church and clergy. So I'm assuming just like any religious body. <laughs> One, sounds a little schemy for Judaism to have like four different New Year's that each require a tithe because <laughs> that's not one-tenth, that's four-tenths. A little Jewish. That's a little Jewish. <laughs> but <laughs> actually the rabbis have got our back. Since you can't carry over the tithes from one year to another, the rabbis had to determine when a crop year would begin and end. And they chose the month of Shavat as the cutoff date, because that's when springtime starts in Israel and the trees begin to bear fruit. Happy for Israel, but I hate that spring starts in January in Israel and we still have like three full months. Yeah. <laughs> so as I said, Tu B'Shvat isn't mentioned in the Torah, but the reason that we know about it and we celebrate it is because after the destruction of the Second Temple and the exile that followed in 70 CE, a lot of exiled Jews felt the need to bind themselves symbolically to their former homeland. And celebrating Tu B'Shvat helped fill that need. And today, it's a festival holiday, just like Hanukkah, just like Shemini Atzeret, Simchat Torah. Um, those are way more important, obviously, than this guy, but, you know, still big parties. <laughs> and um, it's considered a festival of nature full of wonder, joy, and thankfulness for creation in anticipation of the renewal of the natural world. During this festival, Jews recall the sacred obligation to care for the world and the responsibility to share the fruits of the earth with all. This is from reformjudaism.org. <laughs> God bless that site. Also, it's so funny because reformjudaism.org, I'm reading through it, I'm like, makes total sense. That's great, awesome, love. I go to chabad.org and I'm like, this is gibberish. Like, guys, just tell me what... I need to know. So like you me, need dictionary.com for every other word. Yeah. yeah, actually. And like every single word links to a separate page that is important context for the next word. <laughs> it's just so extensive. So the holiday also has become a tree planting festival in Israel in which Israelis and Jews actually around the world plant trees in honor or in memory of loved ones and friends that have passed. Also sidebar fun fact. Israel, because of this, they are the only country in the world with an almost constant net growth of trees. It makes total sense because Israel is better at everything than every other country in the world. That's the background. I know everyone listening has been dying for that explanation. So you're welcome. There's a lot you could say about Tu B'Shvat. Lindsay just brought up the connection to the Lorax with nature and all that jazz, appreciating the land that sustains us, connecting with nature, grounding yourself in nature. I'm not going to go down any of those yellow brick roads. It's kind of funny that I'm talking about Tu B'Shvat because I'm notorious for not really digging nature. I don't hate it. I see it. I get it. I feel very little need to engage with it. <laughs> and it's I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But anyway, so yeah, like I'm an indoor cat. I'm a city gal. That's the beans. Um, so I'm not going to talk about Tubishvat as it relates to nature in the literal sense, because obviously, fuck that. It's just a little more meta than just straight nature talk. It's just low hanging fruit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what I want to talk about is the metaphorical tree and like metaphorical nature 
And all throughout the Torah, you have these mentions of trees specifically, perhaps the most important of them all being the tree of life, otherwise known as Eitz Chaim, otherwise known as the Torah. <laughs> There's a really popular clapping song. <laughs> Every Jewish person who went to Reform Shabbat services or Jewish day school knows called the tree of life. We don't have to sing it. If you know, you know. In short, literal trees provide literal sustenance like food and the tree of life provides spiritual sustenance. So for the sake of this conversation, I'm going to pretend that the tree of life doesn't just refer to the Torah, but just Judaism at large, because there's a lot of things that can provide spiritual sustenance that are not just rooted in Jewish text. And even though what I'm going to talk about is rooted in Jewish text, I'm saying that because I want everyone listening to know that getting spiritual sustenance is not something that is just rooted in religion, religiosity in the most conventional sense. I want to focus on the Garden of Eden which is like Torah paradise. So to connect this train of thought, Tu Bishvat is the new year of the trees. Trees are everywhere in the Torah, most notably because we refer to the Torah as the tree of life, which provides spiritual sustenance. Within this tree of life is the Garden of Eden. With me? Yep. I wanna throw us back, all the way back, to our first ever episode we released, where we talked about Judaism and the afterlife. And I framed my little chat around this paper that I wrote in high school for a biblical studies class that asked us to think about what our personal gardens of Eden would include. When we recorded this, I literally emailed my teacher. I was like, hey, do you have this assignment? Can you send it to me? I host this podcast now. It's about weed, LOL. <laughs> and um, he like sends it to me. And in this, he said he originally assigned this project with the thinking that no one seems to think that the Garden of Eden was a real place. So if it's meant to represent an ideal state of being, what does that mean for us? Categorize the questions based on the different types of trees mentioned in the garden. Ones that are beautiful to look at, ones that are good to eat and sustain you, ones that represent good and bad, and ones that represent life. And he asked, how do we think about beauty? How do we think about food and wellness in general? How do you conceptualize right and wrong? And finally, what do we want out of life? Clearly I'm making this connection to this holiday because of the trees in the sense that Tu B'Shvat is a holiday that provides literal food sustenance. You celebrate the sustenance that grows on trees. Spiritual sustenance is also is growing all the time, you could say. This was an episode in March, 2019, full year before all this happened and almost two years ago, which is crazy. Like many others, I would imagine that my ideal state of being is very different from what I said almost two years ago in response to these questions. And in writing this, and thinking through what my responses would actually be, I think I actually need less, mm -hmm. but I also need more of what I still need, if that makes sense. At the start of the pandemic, if you told me that I would be working from home with no end in sight one year from then, I would probably have passed out. How could I survive without the act of going into an office, the act of being around people day to day, the act of just living a normal life and like not go into the club? And I realized that's not what I need. That's what I want. But what I need is people. And what I need is more of that emphasis on the people in my life as I go through this year and as we come out of this. And this reminded me of a really raw and honest conversation that I had with my team at work during like the height of the pandemic about who we wanted to be when we came out of this. And 
I can honestly say that while I think my essence is the same as who I was before all of this happened, this has fundamentally changed. Not everything about me, obviously, because it's not my essence, but like a lot of stuff about me and it's changed everyone. And it has fundamentally shifted our mindset on how we work, live, communicate, and just generally interact with each other. I feel like people listening to this are like, yeah, no shit, Rachel. The world turned upside down in the past year. Why am I bothering to listen to you wax poetic about spiritual sustenance? But my point is, I would actually challenge you to answer those questions and think about how those answers changed from a year ago. They could be better, they could be worse. But after this is over, which it's going to be over eventually, how do you sustain the positive changes at least? What sustains us in quarantine shouldn't just be what sustains us in quarantine because if nothing else, this experience has taught us we can all get by in a lot less than we thought if we tap into the right things at the right times and in the right ways. And so this is obviously isn't like an all or nothing. We're all flawed. And a lot of us have gotten better in some areas and worse in others. We're like, we're human, that's normal. But the most important thing coming out of this, I think as a Torah scholar Mm -hmm. is figuring out what really lifts you up. What gives you life? What fills your cup? What gives you sustenance? And how do you find it? How do you internalize it? And how do you sustain it after this is over and this is in the rear view mirror and things can go back to normal, but why should they? Or why shouldn't they? And that's all I have to say about that. That's Tubish Fat. I was just thinking, damn, Rachel is a waxen poetic. And then you were like, no one wants to hear me wax poetic. And I was literally just thinking, I love listening to Rachel wax poetic. You know, when I think about paradise, I think it is a huge reflection of what I value. And so that's going to change year to year. And I recognize the things that I, I value. There was a, an epidemic, to put a pun to it, of relationships and interests and ideas and everything being like a mile wide inch deep. And this really made us deep dive. And I appreciate that deep dive. We really love water metaphors. But I also think it's hard to actively narrow down your life for no other good reason other than the fact that well right now these things don't exist anymore it's an interesting thing to think about that I probably won't go out as much when I can I won't be as upset about like not spending every day in the office anymore you know that was really scary to like pull away from that world it's not that I want to that's just less of what I need right now honoring that I think is the the hardest part because it's, it's a little unfamiliar All right. Well, Lindsay Bear, you want to take us through the little Jew-ish? Absolutely. Um, Let's do a little razzle-dazzle. Oh, give me a little razzle-dazzle into that. Razzle-dazzle, a rambunctious Jew-ish of the week. A tale as old as time. Mm, I can't wait. (laughs) Jews and the Illuminati. And I am here to tell you once and for all that yes, you caught us. Jews run the world. Who run the world? Jews. (laughs) Who run the world? Jews. The Jews and the Freemasons, they scamper around the earth like chirpy little chipmunks, cause wars. They worship Satan because we all know that Satan and the general concept of hell is just a huge part of Judaism that we talk about frequently. Yeah, yeah, they definitely don't splish splash. Don't splish splash in the lava of hell. 
just generally the Jews go around controlling the banks and all the world's media. Let me tell you, if Jews were really that powerful, there would be less praying to Jesus in public schools. But I digress. Retweet. I love a good conspiracy theory, especially one to which I have a pretty significant connection because I'm Jewish and this is that Jews, that that was the connection, Um, not the Illuminati part. (laughs) Who's to say? We don't know what this ish is going to turn into. Yeah, you never know. This could be Lindsay's big, big adding of the, of the Illuminati. (laughs) Just for y'all dear, sweet listeners, I willingly boogied down the rabbit hole of Jewish conspiracy theories to answer the question, why do people think Jews run the world? Quick shout out, as always, to Chabad.org and MyJewishLearning.org for a good chunk of this info. I also read some articles by Vox and National Geographic, so the info is well-rounded and not only Semitic. Short answer, the notion of it is just rooted in good old-fashioned anti-Semitism. The ideas of Jews controlling the world is based off of this alleged secret coalition of Jews and Freemasons. And these theories were really popular amongst the far right in France and Spain, Portugal, Italy, Germany, Russia, Mm -hmm. Eastern Europe. And there are still pretty similar allegations of this still being published to this day. So I had to look up Freemasonry and it's like a doozy of a topic and we're not going to dive into it because we don't have the time, people. However, quick definition, it's this fraternal group and it has lodges and in those lodges, Freemasonry states that every member must profess a belief in a supreme being. No women may be admitted And the discussion of religion and politics is banned. So cool. A fun group well-primed to be in cahoots with the Jews. (laughs) I also love the word cahoots. Cahoots. So through my research, I learned that we cannot talk modern Jewish conspiracy theories without the OG mother of all Jewish Illuminati texts. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. This is a fabricated text published in Russia in 1903, which claimed to describe a Jewish plan for global domination. For context, 1903 was the beginning of the anti-Jewish pogroms in the Russian Empire, in which thousands of Jews were killed or forced to flee the country after the Russian government ransacked their villages. It is suspected but cannot be proven that the same people who organized the pogroms in Russia were the ones who supervised and advocated for the printing of the protocols. I will give it to these people. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion is an enticing read. Includes 24 quote unquote Jewish protocols. If this were actually written by Jews, it would obviously be in multiples of 18, but like whatever. Amateurs. If a bunch of old Russian Jews were writing this, it would have all sorts of witchy Kabbalah stuff in it. The plans of these protocols are to one, 
subvert the morals of the non-Jewish world, two, plan for Jewish bankers to control the world's economies, three, plan for Jewish control of the press, and ultimately, plans for the destruction of civilization, because that would benefit all of us. <laughs> right. I was about to say, I was like, but why? Like, <laughs> you take over everything only to destroy it? Like, what's the point? Just destroy everything. Yeah. All that work just to waste. If we're cheap enough to scrimp yeah. and save all that money to take all that power, we're just going to throw it all away. You know, I quite agree. <laughs> As do cool, hot historians, Stephen mm. Jacobs and Mark Weitzman who pointed out a couple of themes that uh, appear again in these protocols. Some of my favorites include Gentiles as slaves, the use of media to manipulate the goyim, and planting Jews in politics. So pretty much Jews are lizard people, but we all know that. Uh, At Jared Kushner. At Jared Kushner. I stand by that. The craziest thing about this document is that it's actually a work of literary forgery, and most of its content was paraphrased or directly copied from Dialogue in Hell, which was an 1864 political satire by Maurice Jolly, and also a chapter from the Aritz which is an 1868 novel by the famously anti-Semitic German novelist Hermann Goldschild. I don't really know how to pronounce it, and I'm not going to spend any time. So it's based off of two works of satire and or a novel that is written by a famously anti-Semitic dude. And you just wonder how this itty bitty document that's literally plagiarized and full of actual fiction, how did it spark the theory of Jewish world domination like never before? Because there had obviously still been Jews being oppressed for that reason, but this was like fuel to a fire, <laughs> very quick and hot. <laughs> so for that, we once again have good old anti-Semitism to thank. In fact, our very own Henry Ford, and by very own, I mean American, I, I don't mean Jewish. He funded the printing of 500,000 copies that were distributed throughout the United States in the 1920s, even though it had been proven by multiple reputable sources to be uh, a falsified document. Also, copies of the protocols were assigned by some German teachers as if they were factual to be read by German school children after the Nazis came to power. And they remain widely available in many languages, in print and on the internet. And it continues to be presented as a genuine document to neo-Nazis and just any anti-Semitic groups in general. A quick quote from Stephen Broner, just because there's all these academics on this. Thank you for diving into that issue. He describes the Protocols of Zion as probably the most influential work of anti-Semitism ever written. What the Communist Manifesto is for Marxism the fictitious protocols is for anti-Semitism. All this being said, the idea that Jews are good with money is definitely one of the oldest stereotypes. However, 
it would be blind and silly and weird to not recognize that Jews are well represented in business and finance and other positions that are viewed as um, having access to power in modern society. As with many stereotypes, this one has some origins in fact. Jews have been represented in the fields of finance and business, but that's just because for centuries and centuries in Europe, Jews were excluded from certain professions and they weren't allowed to own land and they were forced to work as merchants and financiers. And then there's another train of academic thought that says that Jewish financial success is also due to the community's high literacy rates and the high literacy rates came from a desperate need to protect the religion no matter where they move from. So they had strong religious literacy, which translated over into that. I think maybe it's a little bit of both. I'm not sure. You know, you force us out of one industry. We get good at another industry. You get mad at us. We can't win Europe. Overall, Jewish world domination is a trope that is part of just this long history of people using Jews as a scapegoat for everything from political unrest to bad weather. Mm. However, if the Illuminati is real, I am putting it out there. I am manifesting. I would love an invitation. I am raising my hand. Same. (laughs) It is quite important to have Jewish representation. We would be fantastic Illuminati members. Absolutely. Don't you want two gals with a podcast and uh, no filter? (laughs) I I think that this is actually so timely and so perfect also because in the past four years, most notably, like started the culture of misinformation. People pinpointing one thing in one area that they can just exacerbate and just blowing it up Mm -hmm. to crazy points where people are like so far gone to the point of no return. I always knew, obviously, it wasn't just a recent thing, but it's just so crazy and also just such a huge indicator of how deeply rooted all of these problems are in anti-Semitism, systemic racism. And we Mm -hmm. think that it's just coming up now, but the reason that it's still coming up now is because it's literally been spread to all these different groups forever and now that they have a mouthpiece that's why we're just hearing about it now super interesting and I always wondered and I would love to hear your perspective on this why Jews why not Irish people (laughs) do you think unpopular opinion do you think we egged it on a little bit by calling ourselves the chosen people (laughs) I mean I don't think that that helped (laughs) yeah I don't think that's the reason but I don't think that helped I think Jews have always been exclusive. I think modern Judaism as a whole is significantly more inclusive than it was, you know, it's progressed, but obviously there are sects that are, you know, very, very insular. And I think that people were always pretty suspicious of that. It's like, what do you think they're better than me? And like, maybe they do, but they weren't causing you any harm. So shut up. Yeah. Um, let them live. And I also think because they were so insular, it was hard to defend themselves. They couldn't defend themselves amongst the community. They were never there to dispute the things that were being said. I think these lies would spread like wildfire. And then the Jews would take one step outside of their community and find out that suddenly they control the weather. It's crazy shit, but I love being Jewish and I'm never gonna let myself be ashamed of being Jewish ever again. Ever again. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. All right. Shall we boogie on into our next segment? 
our little segment, Rue. This is a newer one for us. Really sweet one, guys. You're going to love it. You want to introduce it? Yeah. Rachel and I each wrote blessings for each other. That's it. Just to expand on this a little bit, just because <laughs> I was actually reading about this for the holiday. There was one Devar Torah that I almost read. I like opened it and then I closed it because I was like really long. Not what I want to talk about. Bye. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that I saw was that obviously in every single holiday, there are blessings associated with it. And blessings are always a great way to just take a minute and show your appreciation for the moment and the ritual that you're about to do. And the ritual that I think we are both embarking on, Lindsay, is just 2021 in general. That's why we're doing it. And because we love each other and stuff. I was going to write this in haikus. And then I was like, I got more to say, but okay. So actually, before I get into the blessing, it's customary for like Jews and specifically like Israelis to bless their friends and family members on their birthdays. Mm-hmm. So my half birthday is actually in four days. So the timing <laughs> is perfect. Excellent. Um, But instead of a half blessing, I'll give you a full one. Don't you worry. So my blessing for you, Lindsay, I hope that this year is the year of Lindsay. And after a year that has felt extremely depleting for me, at least um, in a lot of ways, I hope this is a year that just truly energizes you and like really finds you getting jazzed about everything that's going on in your life. There's so much to look forward to for you. You're graduating business school. Can you believe that? <laughs> Can you believe that? I feel like it was like yesterday. You yeah, there. absolutely. You're moving to Boston. So we're going to be neighbors, finally. Ugh, and finally. better bra. Better bra is going to pop the fuck off. You know, it's going to be more fish, officially a fish than it already is. And with those things, I hope come endless success laughter and love of all kinds. I actually was looking through our past podcast episodes today. And in the last Hanukkah episodes, we gave each other three Hanukkah wishes. We always say we're in love with love. Mm -hmm. And you said that you didn't want to call yourself a love slut, but you love love of all kinds. And I hope that this year you become a love slut and you are just fully absorbed in the best possible way in love of all kinds. And may the fuck boys be non-existent but the attention plentiful you are a blessing to everyone you know and most of all I hope that this year you feel a favor returned and to close in the words of none other than the sage Torah scholar herself Lindsay Rose Weiss (laughs) like a farmer foraging through a cornfield for the juiciest corn I hope you find that corn only the juiciest. <laughs> oh, I'm going to cry. That was so beautiful. That was fun. That was so nice. I've always found it easier to express my emotions if I make the things rhyme. I wrote you uh, a little poem. Lindsay, you know I love <laughs> a poem. I'm so jazzed. Let's, let's, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Let's, let's, um, let's plish splash on into it. I was about to say, do a little plish splash in poetry. <laughs> Okay. A good hair day at the best time, a deep knowledge of your strengths and a willingness to shine, to give love with all your heart and to never doubt that you deserve it in return, to when and to whom you exert your energy, the power to discern, 
for bravery that both conquers and honors your fears and for joy that manifests itself in laughing to the point of tears. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad that you went after me. I would have looked like an absolute idiot after Lindsay. That was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard someone say about me. <laughs> Can you send that to me, please? Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God, Lindsay, thank you so much. Always. Kiss you through the phone. <laughs> Kiss you through the phone and I'll see you later on. <laughs> well, that gave me a lot of warm and fuzzies. Shall we close this spicy, sassy, splish, splashy? Sophisticated. <laughs> um, is this kosher? Okay, you want to go first? Yes. You are three months in to a relationship with a capital R. You are helping him move from one apartment to the other. So you're like pretty deep in his closet and you find a sex doll in his closet. You bring it up and he says that he used it for both physical and emotional intimacy before he met you. <laughs> I have less of a, I have way less of a problem with the physical part than I do yep. with the emotional part. Yep. Um, I think that's a deal breaker. This is a doll yep. <laughs> that you are pretending is your girlfriend. Yep. No, that's a deal breaker for me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's kosher. <laughs> no, because I think that there's a level, if it was just physical stuff, then like you got to respect people's kinks and you yeah. know, it's its own thing, like whatever. But they're like, this is my girlfriend. Because if it's like a dog, you know, because yeah. like dogs obviously provide emotional support, but like it's a dog, it's not a doll. Yeah. It's like saying like my lampshade is providing emotional support. Just the shade, not the light, because the light actually might. Yep. <laughs> you know? That's amazing. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. You've been dating this guy for about three weeks you've had sex you've slept over at his place not to the point where you've taken a shower at his place by chance it hasn't happened yet mm -hmm. so it's about a month in really like him and you take a shower together and he insists on air drying when you get out of the shower insists on air drying himself he owns one towel in his home for guests and it's not a full towel like the size of a towel you would get at the gym that's between a hand towel and a very, very small bath towel. Yeah. It's more for like your hair than anything. Yeah. It's like more the size of a bath mat than like it an actual exactly yeah. size of the bath mat rather than a full towel. And that's the only thing he has. And this is just what he does. Like he does not use towels ever and he will never use towels regardless of how long it takes for him to dry, where he's going, what he needs to be doing. I think it depends on how coachable he is. And, <laughs> and not that he needs to use a towel, but he needs to not use a towel, but within boundaries. He can't be like drip dropping in the kitchen with no towel on, naked with his dick out in front of kids. Well, yeah, but, but he will be. Oh. This is his thing. Oof. <laughs> okay, it's not quite the straw that breaks the camel's back, but if one more thing happens that it's not kosher, if that's the first red flag, like major red flag, 
then it takes up a hundred percent of my tolerance for yeah. like one more and I'm done. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I think for me, this would honestly be a deal breaker. I would be like, this is not kosher. You need to grow up and at least get a full-size towel. If you're not going to get one, at least we're dating. Buy a fucking towel. Am I expected to bring my own towel over? Like that's, yeah, that's crazy. You no, know? that's crazy. That's crazy. Well, what an episode. This has been, as always, the highlight of my life, talking to you listeners and, and talking to you, Rach. Um, nothing makes me grin more. Likewise, likewise, Lens. This is always the bright spot in an otherwise dull and dreary quarantine time. I love laughing with you. I love gabbing with you. I love chatting Torah with you and all of you listeners. I adore each and every one of you and I miss you already. We'll be back in your ears before you know it. Absolutely. Make sure to write us. You can DM us on Instagram at sufficiently high C H A I or send us an email sufficiently high C H A I at gmail.com. We love hearing from you and will usually respond back as long as it's not a gross message. Please stop sending those. Love you so much. We'll be back in your ears before you know it. Love you all. Bye. Thanks for listening to Sufficiently High. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about this podcast. Check us out while we get a little high and we talk a little Torah. For all questions, concerns, compliments, and general inquiries, email us at sufficientlyhigh, C-H-A-I, at gmail.com. Reach, can you pass the bong?